So we're going to do something a little different, um, which we've never done at Holy Trinity. We are actually going to have a recorded sermon um, on our Ephesians passage. Now, why are we doing this? Um, some of you may know uh, Reverend Kep. Uh, Diane Hawk is her name, Reverend Cap. She is a lively, vibrant human being. <laughs> and any of you that know her, it, it, it's been a gift to you, surely. For those of you that don't know her, Cap uh, has been an ordained priest or priestess um, for, for many years. She's a therapist for maybe 35, 40 years or so, running her own therapy practice. And she has been walking with Jesus and stuff with the Holy Spirit for many decades. And the reason why she has not been at Holy Trinity except for maybe one or two Sundays for the last maybe 18, 20 months is because Kep struggles with extreme vertigo, which, which makes it really hard for her to even leave the house except for doctor's appointments at this point. And um, so I went to visit Kep a couple um, months ago and was bringing, uh, to bring communion to her and to spend time just chatting with her in her family room. And she said, Jordan, as she normally does, she has a post-it note of three or four items she wants to discuss with me. <laughs> um, and she said, Jordan, I have a request, and you're probably not going to like it. Um, she said, I want to preach on Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and I said, Kep, I was going to ask you to do that while I was here. Um, Kep has lived this passage more deeply and for more decades than anybody else I know. So she speaks from lived experience. Um, and Kep has blessed us in a number of ways. The idea to bless children at the end and have them anoint, that was Kep's idea. The idea to come take the bread and wine and everybody sit down and all of us take it together, that was Kep's idea. The training of the prayer ministers, that's what Kep does over Zoom. So, so Kep is blessing our, our kind of gatherings together. So all that is to say is Kep is going to preach to us from her house um, with the assistance of Nick who helped record it. And um, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to stir in our hearts as he steered and stirred and kept during this time together. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll, we'll receive the word of God from kept this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you give us a body with many gifts, but some of us are hands, some of us feet, some of us knees, some of us shoulders. And Lord, I thank you for Cap for her life, for her witness, for her joy, for her tenacity, for her faithfulness. So Lord, would you open our hearts to hear your word from your dear and beloved servant, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good afternoon. My name is Pastor Kev, and I am a part of the clergy team here at Holy Trinity. I am excited to be with you virtually today as we travel through Paul and Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. So let us start by praying. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Be a hovering presence over us as we gather in your name to celebrate all things you have done and are doing in our lives. Inspire our hearts to follow Jesus. Cause us to love you as you first loved us. Open your word to us this afternoon in such a way that we might be empowered to live a life worthy of our calling into the family of God. May the words of my mouth bring forth the fruit of love and security within the hearts of your people. Amen. Well, 
We have been on quite a journey these past few months making our way through Ephesians. Basically, we've looked at God's sovereignty, Jesus' redemptive love, and through him we have learned that we must walk out our lives living for others. This walk with Christ entails living in unity with all people. And as we learn this walk of unity, we slowly become a new person recreated to do good things on the earth. In today's Pauline text, we see the father's side of God warning and protecting his family from the onslaught of his son's enemy, Satan. This text is practical and helps us to understand the greatness of God, the enemy that we all fight, and the how-tos of keeping our walk moving forward toward the high calling of Christ. Yes, in this God life of ours, we are becoming more and more like Christ as we learn to walk in love and stave off the wiles of the devil. To grasp the fullness, to grasp the full measure of what Paul is conveying to us, it is important to see that Christ's enemy, Satan, has become our enemy too. Paul purposely uses war language to convey the fact that every Christian is in a battle. And I am here to say that that battle is real. But the context of our battle is spiritual in nature, though we live in an earthly life. And I must also say that the natural and the spiritual intertwine. And at times it is hard to discern which is happening in any given moment. What is important to remember is that God is with us and will keep us safe and protected as we walk through this life with Christ. Another important thing to keep in mind as we go through this text is that Satan is already defeated at the cross. Hallelujah. So it is important to note that though we are in a battle, we are God's beloved child, and as such, it is God's charge to keep us safe and protected. Paul is guiding us in our walk here on earth as we become aware that we live fully in this world and yet remain fully alive in Christ. We are protected by God as his adopted child, and the Holy Spirit keeps us moving forward into the kingdom life. As Paul would say, we are moving from glory to glory. So as we are in a movement from glory to glory, hold in your mind the fact that it is your heavenly Father's goodwill to keep you strong, secure, and safe in your walk here on earth. According to verses 10 through 20, Paul provides us with the answers we need to know in order to live God's abundant life in the here and now. We are not waiting for a future event to bring us closer to God. Our walk starts now. So this text calls upon the strength and the power of our God to be with us as we walk with Jesus. It tells us that we are in a spiritual battle against evil forces. It tells us we are fighting a battle that is already won in Christ. And it tells us how to live abundantly as we walk through this battle. The good news here is that it is possible to live a stable, God-filled life through our various trials and tribulations. God works behind the scenes. We must trust that everything that we go through is necessary for our transformation into a Christ-likeness. 
With this said, Paul in chapter 6, verse 10, reminds us that we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This begs the question, what is my idea about God? And then, does my life respond to who Jesus has called me to be? Dallas Willard in Life Without Lack tells us that the key to living a successful Christian life is having a strong mind fixed on the Lord. What we focus on tells us the direction our life is headed. So ideas, what we think about concerning who God is, matters. First Timothy talks about God's kingdom authority, dominion, and majesty. God is over everything, his breath, his word, his creative imagination. It was he who spoke the worlds into existence. The worlds and everything that contained therein did not come from nothing. It came from the being of God, from his heart. It was created by him. Though we may have knowledge about these things, it is hard to grasp the absolute power that God has. Therefore, we must be intentional about noticing what God is doing around us in order to experience him. Whether we realize it or not, we discover God as a child. If you look at a child, you can see God's work at hand. Children wonder. <laughs> They are curious as to how things work. They have this creative imagination. They want to put things together to touch the things of the earth, to be creative, just as God from the beginning imagined and then created all the worlds and the things therein. Though this God-given identity may lie dormant now, there still lies within us the ability to tap into the calling God has for our life and the ability to explore him through the power of his spirit who lives inside of us. I am emphasizing this point too of creative identity with God because we must connect the experiences of our life to God's sovereignty so that we know that as his presence walks with us, we are assured of his overarching protection in our lives. I have an idea of his power because about a month ago, the Blue Angels, in preparing to land at the Joint Force, Forces Training Base in Los Alamitos, flew directly over my house on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> It literally went so low, that the planes were so low that they shook my house, they shook me, and they shook my dog to the foundations. It felt like they were like landing on the roof. You could viscerally feel the power behind those engines in, the, in those airplanes. It caused me to stop for a moment and imagine the power it took to raise Jesus from the grave. Through the Blue Angels, I experienced God's nature through that earth-shaking power. God is all around us. If we will only take a moment to listen and to see and to hear what his voice is telling us through our daily experiences of life. Biblical stories also speak to the power of God. Think of the power it took to make the heavens and the earth. Or think of the power it took to rebuke Pharaoh with the plagues. Or better yet, think of the power it took to save you and me from sin and death. 
We know God has power because of the visible things of earth, but we also know his power through his known miracles of his son, Jesus. The most amazing thing about Jesus is that he gave his power away. He called his disciples together and gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. The point is, is we must take Paul seriously and believe that we too have power and strength as children of God to live out a Christ-centered life that can do good for others, those in our sphere of influence. This means that through Christ, we have the power over the devil's schemes to say no. Paul says that it takes strength and power to do this. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. It is the strength of faith that abides in God and the power of a mind fixed on God's loving character that Paul has in mind. Again, our mind believes, what our mind believes about our relationship to God really, really, really makes a difference. The first step is to believe that he created us to be in his image, to be, moved, to be loving people with creative and good intentions in our heart. This is key because out of our relationship to him and others, God gives us the strength within, within to live out a God-centered life. And as we do this, we are moving and being transformed, yes, from glory to glory. Now, that's power and strength working together to create a totally new person. If you follow the God story, you know that there was a collapse in the original intention of human kindness. Both Adam and Eve chose to sin. And we also know that God sent his only son to redeem us through his death on the cross. The cross represents our freedom from sin and brings us back into the family of God. In the synagogue on the Sabbath day, Jesus read from Isaiah 61, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And after he spoke, Jesus put the scroll down and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. My friends in the Lord, this speaks truth about God's love and his will to heal you and set you free from any type of bondage you may find yourself in. This is good news. The power and strength that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6 is found in Jesus' willingness to set us free through his own death and resurrection. He has led us into a new life whereby we are adopted and brought into the family of God. Now that, now that we are Christ, Paul is reminding us of the power he has given to us to deal with the wicked spiritual forces that come against us to destroy our lives. Right now we live between two trees. Yes, that's right, two trees. The sin-natured tree found in the Garden of Eden and the Christ-centered tree found in the kingdom of God. God told the Israelites to choose either a life with God or a life led by sin. 
And I want you to be careful here and remember what our minds think about, where it dwells, and what it believes is lived out through our actions in daily living. So let's stop and just take a brief moment to think about where our minds dwell. In today's world, there are so many things to worry about, to fear, and yet God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of a sound mind meant to stay focused on him. But unfortunately, it is not easy to stay focused on the Lord with so many distractions that swirl around us. As I see it, the problem is twofold. First, the way that we naturally think is very familiar to us, and it takes a literal remembrance on our part to put on the thoughts of Christ and dwell in the new kingdom. To do this, we find ourselves in a battle to take off the beliefs and systems of our old sin nature. Haven't you ever found yourself wishing you hadn't made an offensive comment to someone? That struggle after you realize what you did is God's Holy Spirit working in your heart to change you. But you might also notice at the same time that there is another voice saying they deserved it. So there is a natural battle to put on Christ and to put off the old nature, but it can be hampered by the fiery darts of the enemy saying it's okay to hurt somebody. So Paul calls us in Ephesians chapter 4, 8 to think on things that are true, noble, just, lovely, of a good report, things that have virtue. We are called to meditate on these things, to allow our new nature to soak into these good characteristics of God. This type of thinking becomes a weapon against the darkness of this age. But this alone will not change who we are on the inside. Negative beliefs are hard to throw off, to discard, because we have a very dark adversary. Let's look at a couple of stories that demonstrate how Jesus dealt with this adversary, the devil. First, we know that because of Jesus' humanness, he was open to being tempted by the devil. We know in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. There, without food or water, the evil one came to Jesus three times to turn his heart from a loving, protecting father. But each time Jesus turned to scripture to rebuke the devil, by using the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Jesus defeated the enemy in the desert. Well, your first line of defense is to know the word of God. This does not mean throwing it in someone's face. This is, this is not a loving action. We use God's word by becoming his word to those around us. When people see our actions of love, they realize we have learned to live into a different way. We no longer create division, but rather reconciliation. As we practice being Christ-like, the word becomes so ingrained in our being that it just comes out as love or joy or kindness or meekness or humility, self-control, perseverance. All of the fruit of the Spirit come in the midst of our trials because we have so practiced being like Christ. Paul is also pointing out another point, another important area in our life that we must learn how to deal with. 
an area that actually takes some thought and even striving in the spirit to achieve. You see, when we get into some kind of a dispute with another person, it is important to recognize it is not that person coming against us. It may feel like that it's that person. The words are coming from them, but it's actually not them. The real culprit here is Satan. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Satan comes to us as a fiery thought that seems right. And if we believe it, we become ensnared within our need to be right in some sort of a way. The Gospel of John gives us a perfect example of this. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from those in authority, and in the going he would be killed and raised on the third day. Well, this disturbed Peter greatly because he thought differently. Surely Messiah would take the kingdom by force. Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him, <laughs> saying, this should not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. What we see here in this relational dynamic is Jesus looking beyond the natural realm to see the spiritual battle going on behind Peter's rebuke. Peter loved Jesus. He wanted the anticipated kingdom, but he wanted it now. How many times do we get in an argument not realizing we have fallen into a demonic trap? Satan has come to divide and conquer God's people. But Paul here is asking us to withstand the evil attack and having done all to stand. Paul is also clear on how to stand. He says, stand therefore in the armor of God. Paul is declaring to us that with the spiritual authority and spiritual weapons granted to us, we can withstand the evil forces that are coming against us every day. These forces want to divide and conquer us, but as a child of God, we have weapons to not only stop Satan, but to drive him out. Our weapons are found in the armor of God. But let us be clear, we have to have spiritual eyes to see that behind any kind of unsettled heart, argument, or division, there is the possibility, the possibility for evil to get in the mix. It must be said that there is not, a, that there is not an evil force behind every disagreement. I'm not saying that. But if the problem is not solved in a godly manner, it leaves an opening for the enemy to get a foothold in the door so that he can cause destruction and division in our lives. I know Christian people who were once friends but now do not speak to each other, and this has been for years. When asked um, what the argument was about, they, they can't even remember anymore. They just have dug their heels in, so to speak, and they have stayed angry. Well, this is not living a Christ-loved life, but rather, a, but rather they are being duped by the enemy. Paul is very clear in this matter concerning spiritual warfare. Paul preached the gospel, and for this reason, he is sitting in jail, in prison, writing this epistle. 
But through his experience of God, Paul trusts Jesus to be with him, to be with him in jail. This goes back to the idea of what we believe about God in our circumstances. Will you trust him and do the right thing even though you can't see him working behind the scenes? Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. They had to wait. Actually, they made a lot of mistakes along the way. And the Jews were promised a land. They walked for 40 years looking for the promise, and they too had to wait as they complained. God functions outside of our timeline. Maybe you are waiting for something to be fulfilled. I know I am. I've been waiting six years to be healed of Meniere's disease. I'm still in the wait. But like Paul, I'm learning to stand, and having done all, stand. Paul here is calling us not to give up, but to take a stand, no matter what. Do not let Satan deceive you into losing your God-loving identity. It is impossible to always see God working in the spiritual realm to bring about his will for our life. But he is there, working all things out for good. Therefore, our calling is to stand in the whole armor of God. But what are we called to stand in? Paul tells us exactly how to stand, and that is in the protective armor of God. If we look at the armor of God, we can see that we are actually being called to stand in Christ. So we stand in truth as we set our minds fully on the Lord and bring our thoughts into captivity in obedience to him. We stand in righteousness as we live out our life in conformity to the revealed will of God. We stand in the gospel of peace as we place ourselves in a restful place with God where there is an absence of strife within our hearts. We stand in faith as we believe in Jesus who is the son of God and has overcome the power of death and the evil one to set us, the captive, free. We stand in salvation, where we realize Jesus has given us forgiveness and healing and prosperity and deliverance and safety and rescue and liberation and restoration and a whole bunch of other things. We stand in the word of God. In our Ephesian text, this is where you take a portion of the word of God and you use it as a sword in a time of need. The example of this goes back to Jesus' answers to the devil in the desert. He used the sword of the spirit, the word, to fight off the wiles of the devil. The word, the word is our strength that enables us to stand our ground in time of trouble. Jesus lived in this space in this armor with his father and now has given us the power and the authority to do the same in our lives. So how do we live in this space that Jesus has provided for us? Paul on several occasions says we are in Christ Jesus. Our location has moved from being in this earth to being in Christ. Paul makes an interesting declaration in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with the anointed one. I am no longer alive, but the anointed one is living within me. And whatever life I have left in this failing body, I live by the faithfulness of God's son, the one who loves me and gave his body on the cross for me. Paul's idea comes from the source of life who is Jesus Christ. Jesus told us to abide in him. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Without me, you will accomplish nothing. As Christians, we walk along a very thin line that I call the glory line, a very thin line, okay? And when I am walking in strength, power, and authority of God, I am above this glory line. I'm moving from glory to glory, as Paul says, moving toward the one who saves me. When I am walking below the glory line, I am living within my own desires and I'm trapped and ensnared in the devil's schemes, wrestling to find a way out. It's like being caught in a great maze. But Paul is trying to change our perspective on the battle from an earthly prideful one to a heavenly victorious one where we stay the course through the power of his love and our ongoing relationship to God. Through abiding in Christ, we have entered into the family of God and are now called his children. This means we can go to him at any time. If your child, think about this, if your child came to you, wouldn't you want not want to know what was on their heart or their mind? They come asking, and so it is with, with God. We come asking. So instead of engaging in a conflict with a person or a situation, instead of wanting your outcome and, and fighting insistently for it, try on something different. Try on a new godly concept. Engage with God through prayer about your situation, and then wait wait for the answer. Paul admonishes us to pray always and pray in the spirit. Pray about everything in every way you know how. Be watchful to the end. Keep persevering. Don't give up. Isn't that what Jesus did right up until his death? And then he hung on the cross and amazingly said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. All of this armor Paul is talking about is not just a passive piece of protection while a battle is raging all around us. It is to be used offensively against satanic forces. It is a provision from God to spiritually protect and defend us so we can keep ourselves on that thin glory line moving towards God. That line that is the line of transformation. For it is in the battle that we are changed into his image. Therefore, we must hold our ground and not give in, but rather having done everything we know how to do, we stand. And I might add, we wait. This type of prayer is not so much a weapon or even a part of the armor as it is a means by which we engage in the battle itself and the purpose for which we are armed. To put on the armor of God is to prepare for the battle, and I would suggest doing it every morning as you prepare for the day. But prayer is the battle itself, with God's word being our chief weapon that is de deployed to set God in motion to help us. Know and understand this. He will use his strength and power to come to to come to the aid of his dear children, to whom he loves and has given himself for. So, my dearly beloved, as we come to a close, may you know that you are in the family of God and that your security in this life is caught up in him who is able to save and help you in your life. 
May you realize that God loves you deeply and has provided the tools through Christ to protect you as you stand in three key areas. So we stand in his strength and power. We abide in him using the armor of God to stand in love, which then will allow you to withstand the enemy, the enemy's onslaught against you. And lastly, we stand in prayer, praying in the spirit at all times through all manner of things. And now, because you have believed in the one who is truth, who your lives are marked with the seal of his Holy Spirit. May you know that you are totally set free to live into the abundant life Jesus has given to you. I say these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.